This podcast episode entails a discussion about mental health. If you or someone else you know is experiencing thoughts about suicide or self-harm, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That is 1-800-273-8255 or text 741-741 to reach a trained counselor. Additionally, Cal State East Bay's Student Health and Counseling Center has a list of resources that anyone can check out. This includes safety plans to help someone to remember their resources and coping strategies when in a crisis. Thank you so much for listening today. Welcome to Making Moves, a podcast presented by the Center for Sport and Social Justice at Cal State University East Bay. Today's episode focuses on mental health and sport, featuring an interview with Donya Cabello, Nana Adakora, and Lisa Bontasumi. It's hosted by Kim Woozy. This is McKenna Duda, your podcast host. I'm a Cal State East Bay alum, former collegiate, now recreational runner, and I just recently earned my bachelor's degree in kinesiology. I operate within Orange County, California as a sports manager, Plus, I direct and write the scripts for this pod. So glad to be here again. Here, we'd like to serve our audience by educating and also inspiring y'all to feel empowered through sport and social justice. All athletes, sports fans, and social justice advocates are welcome. Mindful moment coming in hot. With COVID-19 lasting far longer than many of us were mentally and socially equipped for, it is evident that there can be frustrations and fears with re-entering social situations, post the isolation and quarantines that met us with the onset of COVID. While others may appear disrespectful and unkind, it is within your power to choose how you respond to these actions. Reflect on your locus of control and the elements that are indeed within your control. That leads me to ask that you consider who is within your social circle as these individuals feed your thoughts. There is great benefit in choosing to spend time with individuals who are grace-giving, understanding, and also have positive mindsets. While times have changed, it is beautiful to live in the moment and prioritize the here and now. Lastly, reach out if you need help. I have included mental health resources within this episode's description for reference. interconnectedness of the mind and the body is important to note within sports and daily life. When there's a disconnect between the body and the mind, there can be problematic consequences. It is important to recognize when an athlete, or any human for that matter, is struggling with their mental health. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness and it should not be portrayed in a negative light. Mental health concerns are real and addressing these concerns should include a holistic approach, prioritizing both the mind and body. Let's make sport a positive vessel for implementing a beautiful change within society to support athletes and their mental health, alongside their physical health. Hi everyone, your friend Kim Wizzy here. I am an entrepreneur, a community leader, and an advocate in the skateboarding community. And I've spent the last 15 years creating, contributing to brands, organizations, and events that inspire, connect, and empower girls and women, including Skate Like a Girl. Uh, I'm also on the community advisory board for the Center for Sport and Social Justice at Cal State East Bay. And it's my pleasure today to chat with Nana Adakora. Lisa Bonta Sumi and Danya Cabello. Welcome, everyone. So, first off, I'm going to introduce Nana. Uh, Nana retired from a 15 year professional soccer career in 2020, where he most recently played on the Oakland Roots, leading to his current role as a director of player personnel. Throughout Nana's career, he faced many mental health challenges without the education and knowledge to prepare him for healthy coping. With age and stigma awareness, he strives to let young athletes know it is okay to express themselves. He also provides them with resources to help them navigate their own personal situations by speaking about his own experiences. Welcome to the podcast, Nana. 
Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to be here with you all. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, next up, we have Lisa. Lisa is a psychotherapist with over 21 years of clinical experience licensed in both California and Nevada. She is a private practice clinician, consultant, and entrepreneur. Lisa supports the elite athlete to achieve optimal mental health and peak mental sport performance. She works with elite youth athletes, collegiate student athletes, Olympians, and Olympic hopefuls, as well as professional athletes, coaches, and teams. Lisa is the first ever mental health and sport performance specialist for the Oakland Roots Sports Club, a men's professional soccer team and purpose-driven club. She's also the CEO and founder of Ath Mindset, focusing on the role that interpersonal trauma, culture, race, gender, and sexual orientation play as the athlete navigates life on and off the field is at the center of her work. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. I'm excited too to dig in and share and listen and learn. So thanks for having me. Very excited to have you here. And last but not least, we have Danya Cabello. Also joining us today, Danya is the CEO and founder of Ojo de la Sol Wellness Products and weaves her expertise as a former professional soccer player, academic, medicine maker, and artist to curate and facilitate participatory expressions that explore themes of resistance and liberation with and through the body. Her practices engage audiences through herbal medicine, visual art, film, and physical movement across space and time, questioning issues of access, visibility, race, immigration, gender, and joy. Danya, welcome to the pod. Very excited to have you here as well. Right on, Kim. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be in conversation with Nana, Lisa, and yourself today. Cool. Well, let's get started here. Um, definitely excited because this is kind of a special Oakland Roots themed uh, pod. Everyone here has a tie to the roots um, here in our home of Oakland. So first off, I just want to know uh, where are each of you joining us um, today? And our fun icebreaker question is what is your beverage of choice if you have one? Anya, you want to go first? Here, I'll kick us off. I am in my dining room in my home in Oakland, California. And my beverage of choice would have to be water with Meyer lemon. Nice. Very specific. Yep. Meyer lemon. <laughs> Love it. All right. How about you, Lisa? I'm speaking from my little office in my home here um, in Alameda, California. Um, and like Danya, you know, my, my drink of choice is water. I can do with or without the lemon though. I'm fine with, without it, but like, if we have it sweet. Perfect. And how about you, Nana? Uh, I'm currently in Ventura, California for preseason with the guys and my beverage of choice would be burdock root tea. Awesome. Yes. Sounds tasty. I love all the very healthy options. Can't go wrong with water. That is, should be everyone's exactly. number one drink choice. <laughs> Make sure to get your, yeah, drink your water, get your, uh, get your quota for the day. All right. First question is, um, would love to hear from each of you. Um, how would you define a positive relationship between physical and mental health for athletes? And you can speak on your own ex you know, experiences or just you know, from your area of expertise. Does anyone want to go first? Go ahead, Lisa. You can start us off with this one. I mean, a positive relationship between physical and mental health is having conversations where they're both included. You know, one is no better than the other. You know, at the roots in my work as an entrepreneur and consultant as well, like we treat the, the human who is the athlete as a holistic being. You know, nothing is separated. We don't just kind of decide to maybe tend to the, the, the mental aspect of a human and then maybe tend to the physical. They both have to be seen, validated, supported. Um, so I, I see a positive relationship between them as always talking about them together and always treating them as you know, equal priorities. Yeah, something really interesting we talked on the on the pod last season was that when you're physically injured, you know, say you have a bruise, or even if you sprain your ankle, you're wearing an ankle brace, people can see that, right? It's a, it's a wound, but mental health, you can't necessarily see it. So, you know, there's not maybe as obvious opportunity to talk about it. So 
Um, I love that answer. How about Nana or Danya? Any thoughts on for you what the positive relationship looks like? Yeah, so that's actually why I had Lisa go uh, answer this question first because I never knew what a positive relationship was between the two. I actually looked at physical health as being physically healthy and then I never took mental health serious. So it was actually Lisa, I believe in 2020 or 2021, early 2021, who taught me about the similarities. So Lisa is the one who gave me the game on that because I'm going to be very honest with you guys. I never took mental health serious, you know, so that's just me being honest with you guys. Thanks, Nana. Um, so, yeah, hearing Lisa talk about not dividing them, um, I think is one of like the first most important things is to kind of look at it as a unified health and they just like are different branches of our health. Um, and I, I would, I would also say that, um, a positive relationship is one that also connects the physical and mental to our social and historical context that make us who we are. And that's, that's a, frame that I didn't have when I was a professional athlete and I didn't get for many years later um, in doing my own like inner work and just like theoretical work to have language to put to understand like how can one's histories of exile or displacement or racism or sexism impact our bodies uh, and, and I, many years ago, I heard this statement that has just like really stuck with me, um, which was what's true for the body is true for the brain and vice versa. That when we, you know, when we do experience physical pain, it impacts our brain. And also that we can conversely have very real physical manifestations of mental illness. Um, and so I think that like kind of looking at the social historical context is really important. So it doesn't just treat a problem as kind of one, you know, like you tear your ACL and you just fix your ACL and it's done. It's like, there's a whole system around that ACL that needs care and attention. Um, and I think that in, in traditional, more conservative sports or just like thinking about wellness, we think about that one little issue. And we don't look at the whole, like where that needs been even. Um, yeah. So that's just my, my thoughts on that. Thank you. Building off that first question. Um, I'm curious since we're all here, we're all kind of connected to sport professionally or just from a community standpoint, what do you feel are the current strengths within sport? you know, the industry of the community, um, regarding emotional and mental well-being. you know, speaking of how that hasn't always been there, but just looking at, you know, the view from where you all are at, what do you feel like are the positives in terms of the industry and the culture, professional sports, youth sport? Um, I mean, even the fact that Lisa, you're, you exist as a, the first ever, you know, role at the, at the roots to me is a huge positive. You know, when I saw that your, that was your title and that was the announcement, I was like, that is amazing. You know? So what do you, what would you say are some of the positives, even just beyond the fact that that is a dedicated role for a professional sports team? Yeah, it's huge. And I, I don't take the honor lightly. I mean, I think, you know, the roots are a very special organization, very special group of people who have come together and I, uh, one day I don't want it to be so special, if you know what I mean. I want it to be something that all teams have access to, conversations about, if not a dedicated person like myself, but a resource at all levels, youth, collegiate, and beyond. I feel like not just me existing, but the support around me so that I can exist and I can help the players. But like our coach, Coach Juan is like an amazing human. He supports the visibility, the work. So I feel like if there's any position like me in a team or an organization that it has to be introduced correctly, it has to be talked about um, respectfully and holistically um, and included. Like Juan is always saying to me, like, you're a coach. You're one of our coaches. So like, that's how we see you. That's how we want the players to see you. That, that is your role. Um, and so it means a lot 
It means a lot. And like to have that leadership also um, from, from Jordan, our technical director and Nana, who's been there. I mean, he, he's like my right arm with the guys. Um, I think that from a more holistic, like if we brought it out a little bit, the fact that a lot of athletes who have a platform are talking about it more and that that, that platform isn't used lightly as well, that they're able to speak their stories, be vulnerable, share from a deep level, and hopefully it inspires someone else to do the same, to feel like it's okay to do. Like if, if um, Naomi Osaka can talk about it, if Simone Biles can talk about it, if Kevin Love can talk about it, then maybe I can, maybe it's not so bad that the culture around having conversations around mental health becomes more normal, becomes more of a daily occurrence, more regular, not just when someone's suffering from a mental health condition or a mental illness. Um, so I think that's huge. And, and it, take, it does take a lot of courage because these athletes get a lot of um, kickback that's negative. Um, but they're willing to risk it for maybe the one person that they touch. So um, that's, that's huge. And I hope it continues. And I hope it's not just the big, big, big name athletes. I hope other athletes can come out and are um, coming out and impacting their local regional communities as well. But the conversations, they just need to, to happen and then action as a part of it. Like the conversations aren't enough. There has to be action. Um, and so like that, that's my, my view on it. I actually, I'm going to piggyback off something Lisa said. Um, you said something about it's not just the biggest athletes, you know, in the world now that are speaking about it. And I think for me, coming from an athlete's point of view, it's like I played for some of the bigger, bigger clubs in North America, right? Where these teams and organizations are spending millions of dollars on staff, best coaches, best ATs, but we've never had a Lisa. You know, somebody to come in and be the best at teaching mental health. So to Lisa, to piggyback off what you said, I feel like the reason why now more than ever, a lot of athletes, not just the biggest names in the world are speaking out is because we're getting education now, right? And it's having you in the locker room is giving me more confidence to speak on what I never knew I felt. So that's where your role for me is the most important thing in 2022, right? Teach us. But again, like I started, I didn't take mental health serious. I didn't know it was a thing until now somebody's telling me what I'm feeling, right? So I think that's having your role in organizations is, is crucial going forward. Tanya, did you want to add anything? I guess um, I just have questions and I'll just kind of leave. This is like a lingering question that won't be answered, you know, today. But it's around, as I hear this, I'm thinking about the people who do, uh, you know, that they are considered quote unquote special, right? Because they're the experts at their craft, whether it be in tennis or gymnastics um, or, you know, even basketball. And there's also some assumptions we can make about the upbringing of somebody who gets into sports like gymnastics or tennis around kind of like economic access and financial resources. And I just kind of have this lingering question of at what point does this translate into those, um, does our care for mental health translate to people with like different access uh, and different experiences because it's not going to be translatable, right? Like if people don't even have funds to consider where their next meal is coming from, where does funds for getting a therapist fall into place? So these are just kind of some of my lingering thoughts as I, as we talk about this, you know, sports is super powerful, but then, and, and these people are beautiful spokespeople to normalize language and vulnerability really is that it's like they're normalizing vulnerability uh, and speaking truth to emotions. Um, so I just have that lingering question of what is so what does that look like for a young kid who struggles with something that doesn't have the same resources? And, and then that me and Lisa have this conversation once or every two weeks. Like, so this is a question that we think about all the time, too. Right. It's a great question. Some of the things we talk about, I know we won't answer it today, but I would be remiss if I don't like as a mental health provider, a licensed clinician, our mental health system is broken, period. 
because it doesn't allow people to access the service when they finally have the courage and bravery to step up and say, I would like to engage in a relationship with the therapist, that the access is then blocked. You know, so I know not that's not the answer. And maybe I'm naming the obvious, but like, I, I can't not say that. Yeah. I mean, despite the gaps and that the fact that this is sort of, it does feel like the beginning of what we hope becomes a normalization. I do think just even conversations like this or last season on the pod, you know, we had um, coaches from different organizations, youth coaches through up to us who focus on trauma sensitive youth development. So whether you're a professional or, you know, you're just a, a community youth development slash coach, like having the tools to talk about mental health and some training, it might not be, you know, your professional career is at least a start um, in a move towards, you know, this more healthy space in, in all aspects of sport, whether it's youth sports on the ground level or the most elite level. So hopefully my hope is that we're moving, you know, in that direction. Um, I'm curious and, you know, Nana, this question is for you. Obviously you, you know, were a former pro athlete and now you are the director of player personnel. How does your relationship as a former athlete and your own personal experience with mental health and your willingness to speak about it help you actually draw that bridge to the current players who maybe, you know, haven't had a lot of conversations around their mental health? Yeah, I get asked this question a lot. Um, and, and my response is always, it's not so much Nana as an athlete, it's just my life in general, right? Like, I've been traveling since 12, 13 years old, right? Different countries, the cultures, all that. I personally have experienced every type of emotion. I've had great success and I've, you know, great pain and trauma, right? So my life alone has allowed me to experience a lot of what these players feel. And soccer is the most multicultural sport, like the whole world, right? So I feel like that's where I have an upper hand is like I could relate to a lot of these young players, again, who don't know what they're feeling, whether it's family issues, financial issues, or just career-wise, like, I've been through it all. So I like to um, see myself as an empathetic person because of all these experiences. So I feel like that's where I'm able to help these kids, right? When they come to me with, you know, on Saturday I had a great game, but a fan said this about me. Well, I've experienced that. So let's talk about it, right? And it's okay to be sad about something like that. We're in a world where you can't feel anything, right? I, I feel like that is a wrong way to go about it. So that's what I try to bring to, to the everyday youth player. Do you feel that athletes in your experience, and I know it's, you can't, we can't really blanket statement anything, but do you all feel that athletes are in some ways more receptive to kind of mental health coaching because they've been used to being coached in general? Or is it the flip where it's like, I got to be strong and like, there's no crying in baseball, you know, like those kinds of things. I've seen both. Yeah. And um, again, because we're in a sport where it's like, if you're hurt, be tough, play through it. Well, we take that mentality, especially when we don't know what we're feeling mentally. Like, am I really sad? I'm not supposed to be sad. Like, that's real in this era, right? So I would say both. Because I come across people that, hey, it's okay to cry. And they're crying within five seconds too, right? So you see both in, the, in this world. Yeah, that's super interesting. and also just. It seems like athletes um, oftentimes regularly experience such a range of emotions just purely from playing a sport, playing the game, right? So um, question for you, Lisa, can you share more about Ath Mindset and, you know, what is it, where did it start and how do you see it evolving? Oh, that's great. Thank you. I mean, um, you know, I do a lot of things. The roots are my, like, that's where my heart is, but I'm also have my hands in different ventures. And this is the company I founded at Mindset. It started with just little old me and now it's grown to, um, we have a COO and about five other clinicians on board who are athlete-centered, athlete-trained, um, who want to support not just the elite athlete at all levels, youth, 
collegiate, Olympic, and pro, but the relationships around them that help them be them. So Ath Mindset is for the spouses and partners of athletes. It's for the family members. It's for the parents. It's for the coach, the team, um, to help uplift the whole ecosystem that supports the elite athlete. So I'm really happy and excited for where the team is going. Um, I prioritize brown and black practitioners to give them the opportunity to meet the need of brown and black athletes and family members if that's what they so choose. And also to develop the profession, to develop clinicians and sport performance specialists, um, train them, give them the opportunity to um, serve the communities that they want within the athlete ecosystem. And my dream and goal is to have an ath mindset practitioner in every state of our United States. Uh, that's my goal. Um, and so, yeah, it's, a, it's my dream child. Um, there's even someone who asked me like, what about the refs and the umpires? I'm like, well, yeah, they're part of the ecosystem too. And a lot of communication goes on depending on the sport, <laughs> soccer being one between the ref and the, and the athlete and like how do the, and the fans and how do they all kind of cope with that? So um, yeah, that's F mindset. Thank you for asking. Thank you for sharing. That's so exciting. Um, I, yeah, I'm just so excited because I've been, uh, I've heard about you for a while and just so hearing kind of like your role and then the additional resources you're creating um, is just so, to me, really groundbreaking. Like you said, it can set a precedence for, for everyone, you know, everywhere. Um, next question is for Danya. Uh, so Danya, you talked about context and um, I'm just curious, can you share a little bit about your identity as a first generation uh, American and how that's shaped your mental health and maybe how that played into also your soccer career? Yeah. Um, thanks for asking. I, uh, so a little context is that I was born and raised here in Oakland, you know, grew up playing soccer at rec level to elite levels, played at UC Berkeley, um, played for Santos in Brazil and uh, kind of the subcontext of my life is that my parents were also political refugees from Chile who emigrated to Oakland in the 70s, fleeing political persecution, torture and imprisonment. And I very much grew up um, in many worlds, many worlds that were super joyful on the soccer field and growing up in the Bay is a wonderful place to be. And also with like a pretty personal dark side to home life, which was um, defined by a lot of silence and a lot of death. Uh, and the trauma that comes with, uh, you know, my, my parents and my sisters who fled Chile, um, who had an entire life uprooted um, to land in the country that actually single-handedly funded, trained, and supported the military that ruined their lives in Chile. So I grew up with this kind of critical understanding and just this nuance of like, the American dream is really the American contradiction. It's like, yeah, like we made, we made it, I guess. Yes. And that's to be celebrated. Um, yet at what cost and in what land and, you know, what government. So kind of like, and those are just kind of two really general buckets of my life upbringing. Um, but I noticed that there wasn't a lot of room in the sports worlds that I was a part of uh, because there weren't a lot of other Latina children, first generation, you know, children of exiles uh, in, in soccer spaces in that I was a part of. And so there wasn't a lot of acknowledgement of the experiences of trauma um, and that reality. And so it, the soccer, my soccer identity became a space that kind of pushed other really important parts of who I was to the side, not consciously, it just, it was happening. It's like people weren't asking about human rights at soccer practice and people weren't talking about what's a dictatorship, you know, when I was playing soccer. Um, and all of this kind of coincided with looking at my own you know, I think when I was done at UC Berkeley, I had my first bout of what people call, um, you know, like a really big depression spell and was diagnosed with bipolar depression. Um, and 
my father has bipolar depression. His father had bipolar depression. Um, and I started to look at, wait, maybe there's something deeper going on than rather than me just like being generally sad a lot of the time. Um, and I started noticing that one, the spaces that I was a part of in sports, like weren't really conducive to my health. So I had to kind of rearrange my relationship with sport as well as looking at what was happening to my father's physical body. He, he can no longer heal from a surgery, from a fall. He has constant inflammation. And, you know, I, I would have loved to have this kind of perspective as a child. I think it would have been really a lot more like healing and I would have enjoyed all my soccer experiences a lot more. But what I know now is that we essentially the things about my soccer life that I didn't like and appreciate, the militarized training, the win at all cost mentality, the essentially in my world of soccer, a bunch of white men telling me what to do and how to do it, um, how to prioritize my life. I realized that all of this in some way, big, small, is a legacy of colonial projects. And, and I don't wanna say that colonialism is dead. There's still like a very present cosmology of colonialism, which is like kind of these ideas that are, we still find in every parts of our, of our lives in, in our work, in institutions, in our medical care. Like, and so having just much greater context and language to put to like what my experience was as a soccer player and understand how parts of that are connected to, um, connected to the corruption of like empire and, and, and Western supremacy and like human supremacy and white supremacy. Um, I would say that as an adult now looking back, these are the center points that I'm interested in, in my passion of sports is like making these connections, acknowledging that kind of like what Lisa was saying, it's not just about like the coach and the players. It's do the refs have this perspective and can they make these connections and understand history in the same way? Can the fans, can the parents of the players? And it's like, how do we inform ourselves towards collective liberation by using our different fields, which in this case for us is sport as a place to explore, critique and, and go deeper so that we can essentially be healthier individuals. You know, I, 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 I'm a work in progress um, and I will continue to be, but it's like, I wanna work through this with my team and my team is whoever's kind of focused on that different areas of sport, be it skaters or the hoopers or the soccer players. Um, so that's kind of my long winded answer of like this weaving together of, of just how I understood my own experience um, based on my family's history. Thanks for asking. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think, um you don't usually hear that full context, that full story. You know, you see Danya on the field, like, you know, crushing it. So I appreciate just, you know, the vulnerability and the, and the sharing and the intimacy. Um, where my mind goes is, do you all think it's possible that sport, which has been, you know, it's interesting because I look at things from a skateboarding lens, which is a, a younger, like less, it just now being kind of more commercialized, but um, the things that make sports so popular in, you know, this country or just, I guess, Western culture, um, a lot of it's influenced by commercialization, capitalism, right? These institutions, do you think it's possible to hold on to the things that make it so powerful and influential and impactful and also kind of transform it to a healthier, more whole approach? Um, and what does a future like that look like? You know, cause I just think about like, I don't know, like the Super Bowl is coming up and just all the issues with an institution like the NFL, right? But then I also think about how, you know, sport, you know, and even, you know, this activity of skateboarding, we now consider a sport in some ways, like really does change. I see it changing, you know, the lives of youth on the ground, like even one hour, you know, a skate lesson in, in Oakland, a town park. Um, 
how do we move forward in this world where we take the things that work that make it great and so influential and then also have it be um you know more mindful and and close some of these gaps and what does that look like for you all like in terms of like you know the future and in the professional world does anyone have any thoughts on that i just look at what the i'm going to use the roots as an example you know it's you can still corporate world you need to make we know what the corporate world is you need to make money to all that stuff but i still think you could do that while shedding light on things that matter right equality, mental health, like similar to the roots. So I feel like it's just having honest conversation and just giving the right information to people because you can do both. And that is where, and I said this last year, that's where I fell in love with the roots because I've been around this ecosystem my whole life and it's just been one way of viewing things. Finally, after 30 years, I'm seeing an organization that's capable of doing both, right? And especially the past 10 years of my life, it's been like a silent, like it bothered me so much the past 10 years to not be able to find an organization that was capable of doing both. So now that I see the roots and, and not just the roots, there's a ton of organizations in Northern California that I've seen the past two years that are finally doing this type of stuff. So you're just having conversations, you know, people, leadership teams, having tough conversations and bringing it to your organization because it's important. It's very, very important. So. I'm curious, uh, while we're on the topic of the roots and just, you know, Oakland as a city, as a culture, what do you think makes, you know, this unique kind of organization such as the roots? How do you think that's influenced by the culture and the regional kind of location of Oakland? Like for those listening, you know, that maybe don't live here or, um, are curious to learn, you know, what, what do you think it is about Oakland and the culture here? I know we all live in and around, you know, the city, Danya, I believe you were born here in Oakland. Do you guys have thoughts around what it is about this place that has, has it produced something like the roots, you know, sports club? I have my own thoughts, but I'll let, I'll let these two go ahead and go first. Danya, you're a native. I'll, I'll defer to you. I mean, I think, you know, in many ways, with the Roots doing what they're doing, by doing it in Oakland, they're not starting from scratch. There's already um, work that's been done that they're building from. And the Roots isn't coming in, you know, with this, again, kind of colonial imposition into a city. They're coming in with curiosity and, like Nana said, intention. And so asking and making the connections with the institutions and the individuals that have already been thinking about access and equity and liberation, um, you know, I think that's one of the strong, like beautiful things about Oakland that just from a small scale, when I look at something like my own experience as a, as a Latina athlete who had a lot of kind of green lights given into my life because my parents were able to step into a new country and start small businesses in Oakland in the early seventies. Well, that work was only made possible because 10 years before the Panthers were paving ways for other black Brown folks to come into a place as newcomers, not speaking the language. Um, so even if my parents in the seventies were just scrambling to begin, they have a, an entire generation of people to give thanks to who were the ones fighting so that they could actually arrive and do it. Um, so I think that's kind of the work the Roots is building from. Absolutely. I mean, I think the history of our town, like Donya said, the Black Panthers, that a lot of our, the builders of the town and our leaders are activists, are people who want change, who want social justice. You know, if you walk around some streets of Oakland, you're going to hear two or three different languages at the same time. You know, different ethnicities and races sharing, sharing a block, sharing a street, a sidewalk together. That's one of the beautiful, most beautiful things, I think, of Oakland, the diversity, linguistically, religiously, culturally, and just the, the different kinds of brown, black and white people living all together, you know, and 
building, you know, what we have. That doesn't mean there aren't flaws. Every town does. Nothing's perfect. Um, but the roots is for Oakland. We love Oakland and Oakland loves us. I mean, if anyone who's not been to a live roots game, they're missing out. It's a party. It's a celebration. Um, and everyone feels welcome. So, I mean, it's, we are, the roots are an extension of Oakland. Um, and again, it's a relationship. We love Oakland. Oakland loves us back. So, um, yeah, it's hard to explain if you've never been here. Um, but it's, it's a perfect marriage. It's a perfect marriage. And I think that for myself coming in, the roots stand for what I believe in, what my parents fought for. Um, you know, I'm the daughter of two social activists and so social justice activists. So it, it just makes sense. Like how many people get to work around human beings and for organization that actually reflects their personal values and beliefs. Like I would want everyone to be able to have that opportunity, you know, and, and I don't take, I mean, I don't take for granted the honor and the privilege at all every day of my life, the opportunity. And then to impact the guys who come in here who are either from Oakland, the Bay or another country. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a wonderful existence. 100%. Um, I want to bring it back to, you know, our topic of mental health. Um, I'm curious just to get a little bit more specific. What are some of the most prominent issues that you see and, and this for anyone on the panel um, when it comes to the challenges around athletes and their mental health, you know, is it things like dealing with, you know, uh, Nana, as you kind of addressed um, the comments and the sort of, you know, uh, noise, or is it burnout or is it injury recovery, um, depression? Like what are some of the topics that you all see um, and I ask this in hopes for like, we have, you know, our listeners, um, largely students at CSU East Bay and the larger community, but I'm just curious if you can shed some light on what are these issues so that maybe folks can really kind of like relate and see themselves. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, I'll speak on my own personal experiences as, a, as an athlete, the noise and the words and what people said about me. I never cared about that. I, you can say whatever you want about me. Nana had a great, good for you. I would say where I struggled was burnout. And I think people struggle to understand like what athletes, like, like student athletes, for example, they got work essays and all that stuff. They have a schedule that they have to take care of their family, friends. That's not easy, right? And you're burning out after three weeks in the preseason. We still got another, as a pro athlete, another nine to 10 months of this to, you know, to go, right? We have to deal with coaches, expectation. I would actually just sum it up all as expectations. That is not easy to deal with. And for me, that's where the mental sadness, the depression, all that stuff kicked in. Expectation. I, I would say expectation for me is the root of all evil. You know, that's why I am the way I am now. I don't care what you want from me, you know, because in me caring, comes expectation that just leads to you'll never win right so for me if we can remove the expectations it, it will help with the burnout which for me is the biggest the biggest cause of mental mental health problem and just building off that last season we talked about um you know calcet east bay I think whether you're an athlete or not, you are dealing with a lot of expectations. Many of the students are first in their family to mm -hmm. go to college, um, come from immigrant families, first generation. Um, Lisa or Danya, you know, do you have any tips or just sort of, I know it's not, we're gonna, not going to solve it with one little thing, but just like insight into how to approach, you know, mental health in those moments of burnout or... Um, those challenging times, like any just sort of like words of wisdom that you can impart with our students and just our listeners in general? I'll go. I think that, you know, AF Mindset works with another CSU very closely at CSU Bakersfield. So there are a lot of similar demographics there. The collegiate athlete has so much to manage, like 
you know, I think a lot of the athletes at Ath Mindset works works with at that level at CSU Bakersfield is how do I manage my time? There's always something competing with another. Well, let's change the language real quick and make that how do we prioritize our time? Because there's always something that you have to do and you're not going to get it done in that day. What are your top three priorities based on the deadline or what would be joyful for you to participate in and complete or what's a little bit more of a harder thing? So prioritizing every day, which leads to then journaling, which is huge to be able to actually put pen to paper or pencil to paper, not really the notes on your phone, which a lot of the collegiate athletes want to use. There's a device now between your process, between you and your process. Let's get it just straight up, writing utensil and a piece of paper. Research shows that's a better way to learn, better to process. It's better for your mental health that way. Um, I think too, a lot of the athletes at CSUB, the collegiate level, there's a, there's a challenge of the athlete identity. When I graduate, who am I going to become now if I'm not playing at the next level? I've put so much of my life into this and now I, I'm not going to play anymore. That, that grieving process, the loss, and how does, how does your identity stay full and find other ways to express yourself and to identify with when a lot of times they haven't even given that, been given that chance or know that they can. Um, the expectations, like what Nana talks about, is about how do you balance internal expectation with external expectation? What the, the, the sort of performance anxiety as an athlete and or sort of the, the perfectionism or the way that you view yourself can be so incapacitating. Um, and that if you define yourself by how you do in your sport, not the person that you are, it gets complicated. Your mental health and how healthy you feel and think about yourself are impacted if you solely define yourself on how you perform. And so having those conversations that you are more than your sport, you contribute to your sport, you're a great teammate, you know, you contribute in this and that way, depending on the sport, but that is something you do. And one day you won't, whether it's chosen or not. And then who are you? What do you stand for? What's your why, your purpose? Those kinds of conversations. I mean, I could go on, um, but that that's some of the initial thoughts I have. I'll let, I'll let Danya uh, speak as well. Thank you. I love that, Lisa. I liked especially that it was like super kind of practical and attainable ways to, to think about like how we prioritize our time or actions that we take. So I'm going to go in a little less practical um, route. It's not less practical. Let me give myself some credit. We are here temporarily and we can think that we're the most special thing in the world but as lisa said like we should all be a little less special in some ways like everybody can be potentially um and something that we really take for granted i think is just our our breath if we're breathing we are very much alive and one day we will stop breathing and those are facts. And I really wish that I had had a breath work practice throughout my time as an athlete. Um, you know, and that can look in many different ways. It can be meditation. It can be some sort of other movement that complements, you know, a physical like sport, like soccer. Um, but I think having mindful breathing technique and making that time for yourself to just focus on breath is very very powerful and it's difficult to describe it it's difficult to be like and then after you breathe for 21 minutes x y and z happens it's like it's every day you know constantly breathing and most of the time we're not even thinking about the fact that we're breathing um so that's kind of one tip that i have for all people uh, but the second is for athletes, we spend so much time on our physical literacy, right? Like our physical capabilities. And then we kind of make time for this like mental and, 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 and if we're blessed to have a Lisa in our lives, then we like can combine the two. But I would love to see and hear more athletes talk about what they're reading. And for me as an athlete, reading changed my life because it 
I knew I was experiencing things because I'm a political body, no matter what I am, my body experiences is a nose truth, but reading gave me words to put to my experience that then allowed me to communicate with other people about it. And so, you know, authors like Grace Lee Boggs, Bell Hooks, Paolo Freire, I'm just going to name those three for right now. Like, I feel like if athletes read liberatory theory, um, it, it would help create a little bit more agency to be like, I actually have the power within me. I might need some support for sure here and there, but I can be the manifester of my own liberation and wellness and, and really learn to take care of myself as a way to say, hey, I take care of myself because I care about you. You know, I'm not your obligation to, to care for. Um, and if we all kind of move through the world with a little bit more agency about our own general health, you know, we would, we would live healthier. Now, uh, that totally doesn't go into the fact that there's so many systems that we're part of that just aren't set up for that. That's another conversation. Um, but that breath and reading, I'll leave you with that. And I, I think that. that's actually, I love that too. And it's crazy you said that because, and I actually just pulled it out, the book I'm reading called Battle Cry. Yeah. But yeah, and it's, if I, it's good for all youth kids, but especially black and brown kids who were raised a certain type of way. I do feel like you said, reading could, could really bring healing to, to athletes, you know, all athletes, not just boys as well, obviously girls everybody so I, I really love what you just said about the reading love that and my kind of takeaway um just from that this last question but also just this conversation in general is just how there's something about like us as athletes identifying as an athlete and that's something that's like a point of pride right but i also am just kind of like present to this idea of just being a human you know and how oftentimes athletes you know we're either not relating to ourselves as human or society is re not relating to us as human. We're up on a pedestal, whatever it is. So Entertainers. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like just existing as a human and accepting yourself and having some grace for yourself mm -hmm. at the end of the day and others. Um, well, thank you so much everyone uh, for this amazing conversation. Uh, such an important topic. Um, hopefully one of many more to come, but just uh, so much appreciation for your time and your expertise today. Um, uh, hope you all learned something and hope to see you all at a Roots game. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. See you on the next one. Thank you all so much. Thank you. That was incredible, guys. This podcast was brought to you by the Center for Sport and Social Justice at Cal State University East Bay. It was produced by McKenna Duda, Kim Muzi, Nikhil Karnar, and Kashal Sheshadri. The music is by Marby Miller. A big thank you to the Center for Sport and Social Justice co-directors, Dr. Matthew Atencio and Dr. Missy Wright for their support. Funding for Making Moves was provided by Cal State University East Bay and the Center for Sport and Social Justice. Make sure to catch all six episodes of Making Moves, streaming now on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.